Hello and welcome, bonjour et bienvenue to Fintech Insider Insights. I'm Benjamin Ensor, and today I'm delighted to bring you a conversation all about Canadian fintech. Following a relatively tough uh, 2020 through the pandemic, Canada's fintech scene has now thawed and is once again flourishing. 2021 saw record venture capital investment in the ecosystem, as well as the high-profile acquisition of Montreal's MobiWave by Apple. With the promise of new regulation on open banking and payments on the horizon, this could be a big moment for the Great White North. So today we're asking, what does the Canadian market look like today? What challenges are there still to overcome? And what does the future hold? So let's get started. As always, I'm not alone, and I'm joined by a panel of amazing guests who can shed lots of light on Canadian fintech and financial services more widely. So firstly, making a welcome return to Fintech Insider, we have Barb McLean, Vice President of Integration and Analytics at Solero. Welcome back to the show, Barb. Can you give us a quick rundown on Solero for listeners who are not familiar? So glad to be back. Thanks for having me back. Uh, Solero is a financial technology company primarily delivering services to credit unions and other smaller banks and financial institutions in Canada. Uh, we're centered around the prairies. Uh, we grew up here in the prairies and we're very happy to serve credit unions and financial services organizations across the nation. Thank you. Welcome back. Also making a welcome to return to Fintech Insider, we are joined by Joshua Lebac, Director at NA Ventures at Banque Nationale du Canada or National Bank of Canada. And I'm never quite sure which of the two uh, <laughs> I should say. Thank you so much for being here, Joshua. Do you want to tell the listeners a little bit about uh, your bank and its origins? My pleasure, Benjamin. Founded in 1859, National Bank of Canada offers financial services to individuals, businesses, institutional clients and governments across the country. It's one of Canada's six systemically important banks, is a leader in our core Quebec market, holds leadership positions across the country in select activities, and operates subsidiaries in select international markets, including the United States and Canada. Well, welcome back. And then making their FinTech Insider debut, we have Ryan Tevel, Director of Partnerships at Coho. Ryan, welcome. Uh, can you let our audience know a little bit about Coho as well, please? Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me here. Uh, Coho is a, we're a fintech company that's on a mission to make financial products that are transparent and intuitive. So we offer full service spending and savings accounts with no hidden fees, cash back on every purchase, and an integrated app that helps users spend smart and save more. Exciting stuff. And finally, making up our four-person panel, we're joined by Tariq Khan, Director of Business Development at Brim Financial. Tariq, thank you so much for joining us as well. What do listeners need to know about Brim Financial? So Brim Financial is a platform as a service for banks, credit unions, established fintechs, and corporates to help them launch uh, cards and embedded finance solution. Brim is a fully configurable digital platform that delivers solutions for consumer and business banking, credit cards, integrated buy now, pay later solutions, mobile and digital banking. And we have a massive rewards and loyalty ecosystem that's live at over 40,000 merchants. Uh, currently, we work with banks such as Canadian Western Bank and Laurentian Bank. In terms of Laurentian Bank, we're currently helping them reduce five vendors, reduce the time it takes to issue a card from 25 days to instant, and automating 90% of their manual tasks. And if you're really into uh, FinTech trivia and fun facts, Brim is the only FinTech in North America that's licensed by MasterCard to issue credit cards without the need of a financial institution involved. This is the place for FinTech trivia and fun facts. So <laughs> thank you. Uh, great to have you all here, welcome. So let's get started. So 
Shockingly, we last dedicated a podcast to Canadian fintech in 2017, uh, which is appalling. So it's been too long. Um, what's, what have been the biggest changes to the market since then? Obviously, we've seen some of the same kind of trends in Canada that we've seen elsewhere. But what would you say, I'm going to maybe start with, with you, Barb. What would you say have been some of the biggest things that we've seen in, in fintech in Canada in the, in the past couple of years? I think we have exciting new companies that have been growing up. We've seen some of the organizations that we probably talked about back on episode, I think it was 153 in 2017, continue to make their mark. You know, shout out to Ryan and all of the team at Coho for continuing to grow and better serve Canadians with the kinds of things that they need. You know, we have others that are probably following some of those trails that were blazed, like Neo Financial growing up here out of the prairies. So I think that's one trend that I would call out is that things aren't just about what's happening in some of the larger centers anymore. When you think about uh, financial services or fintech, you naturally think about Toronto first. Uh, and maybe then your mind drifts to Vancouver. But there's so many great pockets of interesting things happening in, in the country, right? We've got this very strong AI center of excellence in Montreal. Uh, you can't not talk about what's happening in the Atlantic, I think, as well. We're growing up our own, as we like to call them, narwhals, but unicorns <laughs> for the rest of the the globe, you know, who we didn't talk about Shopify last time we were on this this podcast. So I think there's been a lot of great progress. Um, and I think, yeah, the thing I would talk about is let's 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 give some shout outs to the people that are doing great work across the country because it doesn't just have to happen on Bay Street anymore. I'm definitely hearing the uh, the provincial pride coming through strongly. Though presumably you don't have narwhals in the prairies, right? Uh, <laughs> we we do have access to Hudson Bay here in Manitoba, so you know. Fair enough, indeed. Um, <laughs> Joshua, from the perspective of a, of a larger bank, what, what have been some of the biggest changes uh, you've seen? I think I connected deeply with Barb's comment is that fintechs used to be focused in a couple of centers. Now they're uh, across the country. Uh, Calgary's very uh, upcoming tech scene that's very interesting. So on that note, uh, that's fantastic. Uh, I also see an evolution in what's been gaining traction. We often think about the digital banking fintechs such as Coho and Wellsimple that have had great success on a local level. Uh, but we have also have a number of Canadian technology companies, uh, including the, the likes of you know, Shopify, Hopper, Lightspeed, that have successfully embedded financial services both at home and abroad and are really playing a global leadership role in that space. Uh, and lastly, from a financial services and infrastructure uh, level, we really see an acceleration in the innovation that fintechs are bringing to financial institutions, but also empowering the next generation of fintech entrepreneurs, which I find very exciting. That's really, yeah, really important shift in, 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 in sort of attitudes, getting more and more people involved. I always like to start with thinking about the customer, you know, with almost any question. So, Ryan, I want to come to you. Um, What's your perspective on Canadian customers? Have you seen Canadian customers sort of changing? Are you seeing an openness to new products, um, innovations? Which kind of Canadians are you seeing embracing fintech fastest? For sure. So I definitely have noticed a change since Co started. I mean, Co, honestly, when this first podcast happened in 2017, probably had zero customers at the time and have since, you know, grown to have more than zero, to say the least. And so I think the change is that people are becoming more comfortable adopting alternative services. They realize they no longer have to go into a bank branch, for example, to get the same level of support that they're looking for from alternative types of organizations like, like a Coho, like a Neo, like a Wellsimple. 
And I think it's no longer the case where, you know, you sign up for the bank that your parents signed you up at when you're seven years old, because that was just a legacy that was going to carry on for, for time. People are becoming more open to adopting some uh, products from other institutions and other types of players in the market. Tariq, I want, to, I want to bring you in as well. You were talking about um, some of the sort of smaller sort of banks and credit unions that you work with. I, th I think I got that right. Are you seeing the same kind of embrace of digital sort of across Canadian financial services? Or, or would you say there are pockets of financial services that have absolutely embraced in the industry and pockets that are still some way behind? Yeah, I think one uh, shift that I do see in the Canadian marketplace is and I don't think Canada is unique. I think it's happening in the US and Europe, where five years ago you saw the discussion was fintechs versus banks. And now we're seeing banks and fintechs work more closely together. Because at the end of the day, I don't think the Canadian consumer cares about where they get a certain product or solution from, as long as they get what they need. Previously, you could go directly to a fintech and get those things where the banks wouldn't offer it. But I think the Canadian banks have smartened up. They're like, hey, we can't do a lot of the things that the fintechs can do. So let's go partner and work with some of those fintechs. And that's the biggest thing that we're seeing here. Because um, at the end of the day, I don't think Canadians are loyal to their banks. Um, they're prisoners. They're kind of stuck there. But if they do get those solutions, they're willing to use a bank. And I think banks are really smartening up and it's more of a cohesion of work together that's happening in the marketplace right now. That's an interesting point you make there about, about customers and, and, and loyalty. Does does the maple leaf matter? I mean, does do, do customers want to deal with Canadian brands in particular? Does that does that matter, you know, particularly when it comes to their finances? Or do you think they genuinely don't care and they're happy to bank with, I don't know, American banks or whoever? Um, does does being Canadian matter to Canadian customers? I suspect if Apple Card came here, there'd be a lot of uh, folks in that ecosystem quite happy to jump on board. You know, we saw Revolut uh, sort of make a beta entry and then retreat a little bit. I think on the one hand, we like to talk about made in Canada solutions being important, but I think Tariq's also right. If you're getting the thing at the end of the journey that you need, um, you probably actually don't really care who's who's providing it to you as long as they're making it easy on you along the way. And, you know, people like to talk about loyalty to banks because in Canada, the marketplace is absolutely dominated by the big five. I don't know what the stat is exactly, but it's got to be in the 85 to 95 percent of Canadians do have an account there. But it's it's not loyalty; it's inertia. I agree with uh, with everything said. I mean, if we look at the stats, and they vary based on here on who you look at, uh, but generally, I'd say roughly ninety percent of deposits in Canada are within the six largest banks, uh, and then the remainder of the balance is primarily in the thirty following smaller domestic players. Uh, so we're still very concentrated compared to other geographies, especially compared to, for example, who we use as a comparison often is the US, where the 10 largest US banks hold about 55% of deposits, uh, but the remainder is spread among more than 5,000 different institutions, uh, which makes for a completely different market space. However, I think the way that what has really evolved in the mindset is that consumers no longer look at a single bank to have all of their products. Uh, it's more of a diversified portfolio. Hence why if a player like an Apple or a Google has a financial product in Canada, uh, people will use it, but it might not be their entire portfolio moving there. Just to build off what Josh said. So yeah, it's true that most of the, the deposits are concentrated within you know six or so banks within Canada. 
but also everyone in Canada pretty much has a bank account or feel like their banking needs are being met, which is also a pretty important difference from other markets like the US where there is a pretty significant unbanked or underbanked market. And so there is opportunity for some of these fintech players like a chime, if you're familiar with that company, or some of these other entrants who are entering the market to capture some share because they're not requiring someone to switch from one bank to another. They're just saying, hey, you need something, sign up. Because a switching cost is really the friction that exists, I think, in the Canadian space. Yeah, I think the Canadian banks haven't been as slow to serve the needs of their customers as banks in some other markets. I think, you know, there's in other markets, banks have left a lot on the table. I think the Canadian banks have maybe been a little bit a little bit quicker off the mark in some areas, you know, they came out of the financial crisis in better shape. You know, I'm not saying the Canadian banks are perfect, but from an outsider's perspective, that they've they've left fewer gaps. Um, Bob, you made an interesting point at the beginning. You said, hey, you know, last time we didn't even talk about Shopify. And obviously, Shopify is, you know, big Canadian success story. Shopify has moved into fintech and with Shopify capital and so on. Do we see other Canadian fintechs coming through that are going to go global in the same kind of way that Shopify is? You know, what are the next big stories? Is it Wealth Simple? Which are the Canadian fintechs that are going to have the most success to kind of replace BlackBerry as the national national tech star? I think there's still a lot of good things happening in Kitchener, Waterloo, even though it's not RIM anymore. I know that Wealth Simple has certainly been trying to make some inroads in other markets, right? They actually have launched in the UK, and I'm not sure if they've seen the success there that they necessarily wanted. I, I suspect part of our discussion today is going to talk about, you know, how do you actually get the funding that you need to start to expand into other geographies? Because that probably is one of the things that is a bit concerning about how to continue to grow the ecosystem here in Canada. Can you actually get the funding? Where are you going to get it from? Is it actually coming from at home or do you need to rely on funding from another area of the world to, to get you there? It also leads me to start to talk about homegrown organizations that aren't actually doing business here. I think of North One, right? They actually went south before they really made any inroads. Um, Sinkterra, another organization that has roots in Toronto, but their primary geography that they're serving is the U.S. So there's, there's something concerning going on where we have great success stories, but they're not necessarily always being grown here or actually even serving customers that are here. That leads really nicely into our next section, actually, about the challenges facing fintech. So, so guys, do you, do you agree with what Bob just said? Uh, is, is she right that, that Canada's kind of not, not funding its own champions well enough? Yeah, I think there's a perception, and, and maybe it's true, that Canada is a pretty small market, right? Like the, the Canadian population in its totality is the size of California. And so that could benefit some homegrown Canadian companies because that means that entrants aren't gonna come into the Canadian space because it may not be worth it for them. But alternatively, it might mean like companies that, that Bar mentioned may not even focus on Canada at all because is the juice really worth the squeeze in that situation? I think FinTech or any tech in Canada, there's the old adage to be successful in Canada, you have to go be successful in the US. And then all of a sudden you'll find some market traction in the US, in Canada. And I think that's kind of held steady where a lot of B2B fintechs might get a bit of traction in Canada. They start with working with a few FIs in the US and all of a sudden they gain traction out in the Toronto or fintech space. Uh, one great example is Coconut out in the prairies. You know, when they first launched their scheduling app for credit unions and uh, uh, financial institutions. They first got their start in some credit unions out in the prairies. Then they went and got a few clients in the U.S. And now all of a sudden they have traction with the big seven banks in Canada. So there's always that be successful in the U.S., then come to Canada and then you'll be successful. Is that a definition of success, though? What does success mean? 
you could probably talk about uh, another good example um, from Victoria. So out on Vancouver Island, for those of you that don't know Canadian geography as well, for the international listeners. So we have one feather. Their purpose in life is to provide financial services solutions to the Indigenous community. If they're doing that well, is that not a definition of success? Um, so I think maybe we sometimes are potentially thinking about the wrong outcomes when we're talking about the great things that are happening. Joshua, I want to come to you on on this sort of funding question um, because of you know NA Ventures, and I'm, I'm not quite sure whether you you, you guys are in, investing in just in, in internal startups or we're investing in other startups. But do you, do you see a challenge with sort of early stage funding? Have have Canadian institutions maybe been a bit slow to fund fintech? What's your what's your view? I think the scene has evolved a lot over the last few years. Uh, I think when uh, Coho was trying to read their earlier rounds, it was a bit more of a challenge, was a bit less capital. Uh, but in recent years, uh, increasingly, especially in fintech, it's a bit less of a challenge. Uh, we're more and more seeing as early as the seed stage with even the Series A, uh, multiple term sheet offerings for uh, some good Canadian fintech. Uh, so the, the checks are there, especially in the recent time. That being said, I think as a culture, Canadians were a little bit more risk averse than uh, in other areas. Notably, uh, the fintech scene in Canada is not the same as in Silicon Valley, for example. So if you have a few notes scribbled on a corner of a napkin and you're asking for 20 million valuation, that won't quite fly here. But a well-built out idea, business plan with a promising team, uh, you'll definitely get some interest and uh, investors are piling in. Uh, from homegrown investors to international uh, VCs that are more and more prominent on the scene. Do you all think incumbents could be doing more? Um, you know, whether whether it's the incumbent banks or sort of in, in insurance companies or investment firms. Do you think more could be done to support new startup founders and encourage more Canadian startups in fintech? Oh, definitely. Uh, it's uh, there's so much uh, promise and talent and things that uh, startups can bring, and just in terms of uh, culture. Uh, but banks have to uh, get in, well, banks incumbents in general must get used to uh, working with that and making the proper uh, changes internally to do this better. Mainly, uh, as I'm sure many here on the call have experienced, banking procurement processes are very tilted towards big traditional vendors. For example, uh, that's the first place to start. But throughout the, the process and how we operate and how our culture is, it's a lot in a direct conflict with what a startup does. Uh, so there's so much more to be done. I think there's been notable improvement in the last few years, uh, but we're a long ways away from a perfect state. You, you know, I would say, yes, of course, uh, the established players can be doing a lot. But I think like most things, there is a need in the marketplace for uh, support because it takes an ecosystem, not just money. So you have uh, amazing organizations out in Montreal. There's one called Fintech Cadence. They help incubate early stage fintechs. So where the banks aren't there to support early stage fintechs, Fintech Cadence steps in and supports them. And next, another great organization is Halt Exchange, which does seed to Series A, and they're an accelerator. And again, they kind of fill that market gap where the banks aren't picking up the slack. And what we're seeing now is banks are going and working with these organizations and then having them go and pick the good fintechs and then bringing it to them. So there is this ecosystem play coming along and different people are filling that void where the established players aren't. Let's move on and let's talk a little bit about open banking. Open banking has been coming in Canada for a while, but it's sort of 
seems to keep getting delayed. Um, what, what's going on with that? What's the uh, what's the cause of delay? Is that is that incumbents kind of slowing things down? Is it just regulation taking a long time? Does it even matter? Um, Ryan, you're, you're kind of from a disruptor. Coho should presumably have an incentive to see open banking come. What do you think? What do you think the story is? Yeah, I think Canada has historically been slower to adopt certain things, especially from a regulatory standpoint. So in this case, it seems like it's a bit of a wait and see approach. Let's see how it works in the UK. Let's see how it works in other markets before bringing it to Canada. I do think, though, there is some tension with with the incumbents who, are, as we've discussed, are quite prominent in the Canadian space and may not be as uh, may not want open banking to come as quickly as some of the other players like a coho might. And so I think it will come. And of course, coho would welcome it when it does come. But I'm honestly not too optimistic that it's it's that near term in its uh, you know approach. Is that bad news for Canadians? Is that bad for Canadian customers? I think open banking gives Canadians the, the choice to do you know what they want with their data in a quicker way. So um, you know I would say it is yes. Bob, Tariq, what, 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 do you, what do you two think? Um, I'm, I'm tempted to go to Joshua, but of course he's, you know, he's, he's from an incumbent bank, so he's kind of the bad, positioned as the bad guy in this conversation, which is a bit unfair. I would say is that we kind of have open banking, obviously not officially through the legislator and things like that, but I think like most things, the tech and people are already moving towards there. Tax time is coming up in Canada right now. I could use my bank login to log into my government accounts to do my taxing via an open ID called uh, SecureQ, or a lot, currently through one bank, I could link another bank account through a Plaid or Flanks who got bought by National Bank. So some of those things that open banking promises are already here and kind of the horses have left the gate. It's how fast regulation catches up to where technology and finance is versus the other way around because it's the typical Canadian fashion, hurry up and wait for open banking, where we probably need another committee and then another committee. Because at the end of the day, I don't know how motivated government is to push it through, because I'm not sure how of important of an issue it is for Canadians to kind of hold their politicians to that open banking standard. But it's already here, I would say, in some way, shape or form. Yeah, to be fair, there's some, some bigger things going on. Uh, Joshua? I, I will go to bat, although being in the uh, mean <laughs> position here. Uh, as Tariq mentioned, we did uh, invest in Flinks. We are investors in SecureKey. Uh, we are proponents for open banking. Uh, but how should that be done? I don't think there is an agreement between all of the incumbents and the regulators. One of the things to recall is that our large banks in Canada remained solid during the last recession. And therefore, that stability that comes with the conservationism of the Canadian banks and regulators is appreciated by the regulators, the government, and the Canadian people. Now, how do we balance that with uh, providing the best services we can to consumers is the question at hand. Uh, but I don't think anyone wants to be too hasty with the shift. I wonder, though, if we're maybe viewing this from not the right regional lens. So I have the pleasure of living in the part of the country that uh, actually has more credit union members uh, per capita than anywhere in, in the country. And this is where we start to get a bit tripped up on our own regulatory framework, because 
you know, at least we're not the U.S. and we have to deal with regulators 50 times, but we do have at least 10 unique provincial regulators that have to be dealt with if you are not a federally regulated financial institution. The regulations are all quite similar, but then different enough where you can't just make a cookie cutter across provinces. And so while it might be true that if you are a customer of one of the large six banks that you know, has had the opportunity to take advantage of some of this technology already. That's not actually true if you look across the credit union slice of financial services. And so how do we make sure that we're not disadvantaging smaller institutions that otherwise have to play on the same playing field as the large banks do, right? The regulations are similar enough. Everybody still has to report to FinTrack. Everybody still has capital requirements, et cetera, et cetera. But, um, you know, it's, there's certainly these, these um, capabilities that are not as ubiquitously available across all of the organizations that, you know, stitch together financial services in Canada. So we don't yet even work off a, a level playing field. I think the concept of open banking can help to get us there. But, you know, Josh is also absolutely right. We haven't actually figured it out from a detailed regulatory point of view, how that's going to work when you're subject to different regulations at the end of the day. Yeah, that's a really, really great point. You don't want um, smaller institutions to end up as a sort of accidental casualty of poorly thought through regulations. Um, that's no help. Okay, well, let's take a very short break and then we will come back and think about what's coming next. What role will blockchain play in the future of financial services? How are innovative fintechs expanding access to online banking in Africa? And would more bankers in orange jumpsuits change the way money laundering is perceived? These are just some of the big questions you'll explore on Uncover, the Comply Advantage podcast. Subscribe today and join them for conversations featuring the latest, fast-growing fintechs, product innovations, and financial crime challenges. Just search Uncover Comply Advantage wherever you get your podcasts. Decoding is back. Our hit video series returns, and this time we're getting under the skin of banks. Over the course of 11 episodes, we're joined by key industry experts to ask, what are the challenges facing traditional banks in 2022? From payment rails to lending, we lay out the landscape before looking at the problems banks are facing today and what they can do about them. Watch now on the 11FS YouTube channel or at 11FS.com forward slash decoding. Enjoy. So having scoped out how things are looking today, let's dive into what the future holds for Canadian fintech. One theme we thought would be really interesting to start with is Canada's brain gain, um, because cities like Toronto are becoming ranked as some of the best cities in North America to live in. Toronto in particular has been attracting people from, you know, across the world. How important is it that Canada sort of attracts really strong talent? How, how crucial is that to the fintech sector that you sort of attract great people? Is that an important part of fintech in Toronto, attracting great people from overseas, attracting great people from perhaps, dare I say it, from the prairies into the cities. Is that is that a big factor, getting the right people? Are you, are you struggling to find talent sometimes in, in parts of Canada? So I would say um, the right talent is obviously important, right? You know, that attracts investment. It helps build a better company. It helps grow the business. I would say, though, where someone lives is becoming increasingly less important. So mm -hmm. It doesn't matter if people come to Toronto necessarily. At Coho, for example, we have people that work and live all over North America. We have some people in South America. And so the best talent is now being able to be brought in to a place like Coho 
from wherever because it's more of a remote environment or people are more accepting of people not being in the office. And so in my perspective, it's get the best people regardless of location as opposed to get the people that live in a certain geography. I think I'd add to that to say, you know, we're in a similar position. We have folks here at Solero, right from Vancouver Island all the way out to Newfoundland. It's it's a bit of a geography flavor that if you don't live here, you maybe don't appreciate it, right? We actually work across six time zones every day, just in our own country. So that's that's a bit of a difference to, I think, some of the international listeners that, you know, get tripped up when they're having to call the next time zone over. That That's literally all of our teams here all of the time and all of our customers as well. And I totally agree with what Ryan said, but I would add to it to say, I think there's a, you know, a focusing on our local communities in that discussion that's important. Because if we can help people, you know, raise the bar for their own local community by being able to stay there and work there, and then just that, you know, investment of living there and shopping there and being there and supporting your local community while you are able to take advantage of any of the work opportunities that are out there. I think that's the balance that we should all be trying to to strive for. So going back to your original question on, is it important to uh, continue to encourage people to come to Canada to live and work here? For that reason, I think absolutely, yes. It's probably becoming much less important, though, maybe which city you decide to land in once you get here. I think in terms of attracting talent, another perspective uh, from the fintech space is that I don't know how many founders or how many people who are self-motivated want to go work at a bank, right? They would much rather, I would think, work at a fintech. And I think what banks and financial institutions have figured out is that if they work with these fintechs and form partnerships, without hiring all these bright people and attracting them, they get the same benefit because all these bright people and founders are working at these fintechs, building these amazing products. So if you form a great partnership with somebody like a Brim, you get access to that same talent pool that works there. And that's another way of working with world-class talent without having to do all the work and going and trying and attracting. Banks do have capital and they and they, you know, they do have customers. I mean, but yes, I take your point. Partnerships can be can be a very successful way, way forward. Let's move on to from people onto the sort of technology itself and think specifically. Which technologies do we think are going to play a big role in Canadian fintech over the next uh, couple of years? Bob, earlier on, you mentioned artificial intelligence and you talked about AI, but you touched on AI. Um, and I've seen the Canadian banks, some of the leading Canadian banks have embraced AI and chatbots and all sorts of other opportunities internally. Um, Josh, I'm going to come to you because you, you haven't had a word in for, for a few minutes. Um, where, where, what techs? technologies do you see as being important to the sort of future of fintech in Canada? Thanks, Benjamin. I'm still uh, recuperating from all the shots I've been taking on this podcast, <laughs> but it's, uh, it's great. I love the energy and enthusiasm. Uh, I might uh, shift your question a little bit, uh, Benjamin. I, I think that technology does play an important part, but I wouldn't target the technology per se as being the main differentiator. Uh, I think the the, the room for innovation really comes from the, the perspective and the focus on the client, which I don't think has always been as present. What technology is unlocking is the ability to really tailor products to different customers on a different level. Uh, if you think of it in one way, we can we have for say the same amount of niches or jobs to be done uh, in the Canadian ecosystem as there are in the Americas, uh, but were one-tenth of the U.S. population. Uh, so being able to target and meet everyone's need is very difficult on an individual basis, but a lot more accessible through uh, technology and the change of way to getting there. 
so you're saying, I think, you're expecting to see more sort of personalization, more tailoring of investment advice, you know, financial advice and so on in the future for Canadians. Absolutely. I think we can't talk about this, though, without also talking about the reality of Canada, right? We have 10 million square kilometers of, of land mass, but only 37 million of us live here. And I think it's, you know, about 10 million people are centered in that sort of Kitchener, Waterloo, Toronto, Montreal corridor, right? That is the most highly populated area of the country. You get outside of that, there isn't actually a lot of us left. And just the basic infrastructure to enable access to technology um, is not widely available. Less than half of the rural communities in this country have access to broadband at the speeds that we all talk about are required. If you talk about our Indigenous communities, it's a fraction of that. So, you know, we can spend all day long that we want trying to craft the most beautiful, you know, you know, user experiences. But if you literally don't have access to broadband or a cell phone signal, it doesn't help you at all. So I think that's an area for partnership that doesn't get well explored enough because, you know, the the access to these basic services is actually problematic for so many of our communities today. Because of the, just the sheer scale and the sheer remoteness of where some people live. Yeah. Okay, what about, um, we haven't really talked about sort of wealth and investment management and so on. We, we talked about Wealth Simple briefly. Is there a big opportunity there to help Canadians um, sort of manage their long-term savings and investments better? We've also come back 30 minutes through the conversation without mentioning cryptocurrencies. What's going on in wealth and crypto? Do you, do you guys see opportunities there? Sorry, I said guys, apologies. Um, people. So I think... Um... On crypto specifically, it is true the crypto bingo card was waiting for us to say crypto at some point <laughs> in this conversation. But I think that there, you know, I think people are increasingly becoming more comfortable with crypto as something that's going to be around for a while. However, the regulatory regime remains extremely uncertain at this point. And so I think until that becomes a little more clear, it's going to be um, a little longer until people dive in. But we are seeing companies like Netcoins and Coinberry and all these other ones starting to get regulated. There's some consolidation with acquisitions and things like that. So I do expect to continue to grow. But I think that is an area that the regulatory bodies need to step in first before people really dive in. I think we've also had one of the most well-known failures in that space. I suspect that there was an awful lot of Canadians that had money invested in Quadriga that are never getting it back because of the fact that it was a, a, a company grown in Canada. So I think there was probably a unique level of impact on I wanted to be an early adopter in this space and I got burnt. And so there is a, a brokenness of trust there, I would have to assume, amongst a, a bunch of our, our fellow Canadians that uh, maybe you're going to think a little bit harder about next time. Let's wrap up. I want to ask each of you to give one piece of advice to startup founders in Canada today. So people either considering setting up a, a startup in Canada or people who have set up uh, a startup in Canada. If you could give each of them one piece of advice, uh, what would what would it be? You know, I, I like to say that anything in fintech is a marathon, not a sprint. But I would say Canada uniquely is more like an ultra marathon versus a regular marathon, just because of how our market is. It's going to take you a little bit of more extra time. I know you asked for one piece of advice, but another piece of advice, and I do want to uh, promote these organizations like FinTech Cadence and Halt Accelerator are great resources to help somebody get started 
and reach their next milestone. So as these fintech founders are looking at what's out there in the ecosystem, there's lots of supports with those organizations and others, and they should absolutely explore them. I think that's a, a great response. And I think there's a great community out there to support the next generation, be it all the institutional providers that are willing to partner or finance or uh, the employees and angels from previous success stories. Uh, there's a very strong fintech and startup community in Canada, and everyone should attempt to tap into that and they'll find tremendous support. Yeah, I think to build off some of that, I would say that uh, just be resilient because often the first idea that someone comes up with is not where you're going to end up. So test and learn and iterate and make sure that you continue to stay the course where you can, but also realize that you may have to pivot because most of the time, again, the idea you start with that you think is going to be this unicorn or narwhal idea Barb, is not the one that you end up with. So I think staying the course and, and keeping, keeping to it is really important. I think there is still a, a large cross-section of folks uh, who are underserved. Did we come out of the financial crisis in 2008 with stability? We absolutely did. But have we been not addressing the needs of an awful lot of Canadians? That's totally true. You know, we are a, a country founded on new people coming here. Let's do more to help folks that are continuing to come to this country. Let's do more to help what really is the bedrock of our economy, which is supporting small businesses. I think in particular, there's a lot of great that can be done by focusing on um, folks that, that occupy that kind of space. So that would be my advice to a founder is try and find those spaces that are underserved because they definitely exist here in Canada and we can make a difference by by doing better for them. I love that, Bob. I think that's a reason a lot of people are in fintech is, is precisely to find some of those kind of challenges and, and fix them for people. So that's a great note to end on. Thank you. All right. Well, that wraps up today's discussion. It's never long enough. Um, thank you all so much for joining me. It's been a real pleasure. Where can people find out more about each of you and your companies? And let's start with you, Bob. So you can find us on Twitter at Solero, in particular myself at Barb McLean. If you're looking for me anywhere else, you honestly won't find me. That's the blessed place. <laughs> Joshua. You can find me on LinkedIn or our website, nbc.ca. Tariq. Yeah, you can find us at brimfinancial.com or you can find me posting memes on LinkedIn. And Ryan. I'm on LinkedIn as well, coho itself, coho.ca or on Twitter at getcoho. And you can find me, Benjamin Ensor, at 11fs.com or on LinkedIn. So thank you so much, uh, everyone, for listening. Uh, if you like what you've heard, please subscribe to our podcast. Um, don't forget to leave us a review uh, to help us make it better. Uh, if you want to join the conversation, find us on social media. Just search for 11FS or Fintech Insider or email podcasts at 11FS.com. Thank you very, very much indeed. And goodbye. Thank you.